That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs. Always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Welcome to the Great America Show, and get ready to hang on tight because we have Omicron lurking in 20 nations encircling the United States, according to Dr. Fauci, just looking for an opening. Fauci, by the way, quickly becoming a staple caricature for late night comedians uh, and not embellishing in any way uh, his uh, record, of course, as a public health official. Nothing funny about communist China, however. The Chinese flying missions by the dozens over the Taiwan defense zone, sending more of their Navy into the South China Sea. The Chinese military threat in the region is now so pronounced that the admiral in charge of the U.S. Navy's Pacific Fleet has called for more U.S. aircraft carriers to be dispatched to the region in order to at least match the force of the Chinese Navy. Here at home, the markets have been unusually volatile and the strength of the economy has made schizophrenics of many economists, some telling us that hyperinflation is a near-term certainty and, of course, threat preparing for higher interest rates, and others saying the real economic fear is an economy that is now slowing, despite, of course, massive evidence to the contrary. And then there is the Fed. But don't get me started about Jerome Powell. All in a day's work for the dysfunctional Biden administration, misunderstood, we're told, and certainly unpopular. And a truce between the Biden White House and the oligarchs of Silicon Valley, big tech and social media has apparently been constructed. There have been no loud public statements, of course, from the White House about the truce, but there's also been no serious step taken to uh, bring antitrust actions against those oligarchs, as the Biden campaign had once promised, you remember. In fact, the new Biden Build Back Better plan is little more than a giveaway to those oligarchs, delivering cheap foreign labor without limitation on green cards, importation of more cheap foreign labor, a threat against this country's working men and women, their families, and our middle class, of course. Again, the Democrats are taking uh, up commitments, uh, talking up commitments to working Americans while delivering American jobs to cheap foreign workers. Joining us now on The Great America Show is Senator Bill Haggerty. He's a Republican of Tennessee, a lifelong businessman, entrepreneur, and financier. Senator Haggerty sits on important committees, including foreign relations, rules, appropriations, and banking committees. The senator served as U.S. ambassador to Japan during the Trump administration. And, Senator, we are delighted to have you on the broadcast, the podcast, and the Great America Show. Lou, as always, it's great to be with you, and, and thank you for your leadership. You've done so much for our nation. Your voice is a clear bell. Uh, ringing for truth and liberty in this country. So thank you for what you do. Thank you, Senator. And uh, I, and I want to compliment you for taking it to uh, uh, to Senator Bernie Sanders on the issue of the uh, uh, of outsourcing of uh, uh, 
uh, American jobs, uh, despite uh, his record as uh, calling for, uh, you know, for help for the American worker and the middle class families. Uh, he's he's right along uh, with uh, Joe Biden in the Build Back Better plan uh, to ship away more jobs and bring in more cheap foreign labor. And you're taking him to task. Uh, my compliment. Exactly. Exactly, Lou. Um, we've talked about this before, and I think it just shows the hypocrisy of the situation. First, I, I can't believe the world that we're in today where Bernie Sanders is chairman of the United States Senate's Budget Committee. But that's Biden's America for you. And the fact that Bernie has sold out, sold out the American worker because big tech needed a corporate carve out, something that's going to allow them to bring unlimited foreign labor in here in this uh, so-called Build Back Better bill. Uh, this reconciliation bill that they're going to slam through with zero Republican votes. Uh, this is just a gift to big tech, and it shows uh, exactly where you know, Bernie Sanders and the left wing of the Republican Party are, are in bed with um, Silicon Valley and the, the, the big tech companies that are censoring America right and left. It's it's stunning what we're witnessing. Uh, we've just watched Jack Dorsey resign his post as the CEO uh, of Twitter, the stock continues to plummet, and the social justice imperatives of the Twitter management uh, continue to rise and be e e to even more frenetic levels, not understanding or caring uh, that they are wasting uh, billions in market cap, uh, destroying a great product while also uh, while also uh, censoring conservatives and uh, being utterly one-sided uh, in their, uh, I'll put it this way, partisan outlook. Mm -hmm. in, in, indeed. Um, it, it's amazing that they're willing to set aside you know, the rights of shareholders, their fiduciary duties. Uh, you've been in business for years and years, Lou, and we, we both know what the actual duty of, of management and a board of directors is to the shareholders. Uh, they're setting that aside to pursue an agenda that's entirely political in nature, and they're destroying shareholder value in the process. You know, you were you were pointing out that it's, we've had quite a, a quite a, a perturbation in the universe when Bernie Sanders is chairing the Senate uh, uh, Budget Committee. Uh, Saleh uh, Omarovo uh, confirm uh, oh. the threat of her being confirmed to be controller of the currency, a, a Soviet-educated, trained. Uh, if you will, Marxist, yes. uh, and they put her forward. At, at what point uh, is, is there any moderate in the Democratic Party that's going to say you're out of your mind, Mr. Biden? And really, this is a spectacle that you don't need. Well, I think Omarova may be the tipping point. Um, she came before my, I serve on the Senate Banking Committee. She right. came before my committee before Thanksgiving. And I asked her a simple question, Lou whether high gas prices were good or bad for America. You go to my home state of Tennessee, I can tell you, you get a very clear answer from folks who are on fixed incomes fighting to just make ends meet. She said, well, that's a trick question. She couldn't answer the question. This is how out of touch they are. And I think the, the trick is they actually want high gas prices because they want to be able to more easily cost justify these investments in alternate fuels and energy sources that don't work under normal market conditions. So they want to distort the market by driving up the cost of fossil fuels in America, by damaging the pocketbook of every American here. It's a massive tax. This inflation that they set off taxes everyone here in America, and it's uh, hurting 
those on lower middle incomes, fixed incomes, more than anyone. They don't care. And she believes that you should use banking regulations to basically shut down finance to the fossil fuel industry. She's even caught on tape saying that we need to bankrupt these companies if we want to, quote, accomplish our climate objectives. If you can imagine someone like this who will abuse the regulatory process for the banking system to pick industry after industry that they decide is out of favor and just squeeze off the investment so they die. This is what type of person the Biden administration has put forward. And I have a very strong feeling that there are a number of Democrats on the other side of that dais that I I sit on that are going to say enough is enough here. They're not going to stand for this. It's in some ways to me, Senator, I'd like your perspective. It it seems too late for them. Uh, They've declared themselves to be what they are. Uh, She, for example, even uh, (laughs) it's stunning. What's to have federal reserve accounts instead of banking accounts, move people's checking accounts from the private sector to the government, of course. Of course, it'd be like going to the DMV to handle your banking under under her vision of the world. Let's just let the government control it all. We know how efficient the, the, the federal government is at managing anything. And the notion that they'd manage all of our banking transactions, look, the goal is they want to be able to spy on all of us. They've revealed that with the um, $600 limit, or whether it's $600 or $10,000, a person making minimum wage here in America is going to have their banking account information turned over to the IRS for every transaction. Uh, they're trying to find ways with this increase in the IRS audit budget. They want to increase the enforcement auditor's budget tenfold to come after Americans. And that's not just this small group of people making over $400,000. This is every American. They're waging war on America. And this is a person that they're talking about, Mrs. O- this Dr. Omarova, who wants to use the banking system as a tool to surveil and control us. It's when the when the Internal Revenue Service went after conservative groups uh, under the Obama administration and got away with it effectively. Lois uh, Lerner is yet to pay. Exactly, and and for there not to have been uh, during the Trump administration a response, but of course he was under attack uh, relentlessly from the left and the deep state and national uh, left-wing media uh, for four full years. Uh, it, it, we're, we're looking at a, a government that is now unlimited, it seems. Uh, these, all of these uh, crises, so-called, and uh, some are indeed crises, including the virus. But to see each example uh, of what has happened over the course of the past uh, 10 years and the way in which government has been driven larger uh, and the prospects now are that it will be uh, uh, exponentially so uh, as a result of this new Build Back Better infrastructure, $5 trillion added to what is now a $30 trillion national, but I mean, a national mm-hmm. debt. Where does it end, Senator? Well, I tell you where they wanted to end. I had um, Secretary Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, in front of me yesterday. And I inquired of her, I'm back on the IRS again, I inquired of her where we stood on the gross violation of public trust when the IRS, back in the first quarter of this year, after the Biden administration came into the office, the IRS released private taxpayer information to, the, to a group called ProPublica, so they could yeah. publish the size of the IRA accounts, for example, of Peter Thiel. Why should you and I know what Peter Thiel's IRA account is worth? They did it for their own political reasons, because they wanted to attack people. And 
I asked her uh, two months ago, did she think it was wrong? Should this be investigated? She agreed at that point in time. So yesterday I said, where are we? Have anybody, you know, who's been identified here? Who leaked it? Uh, what are you doing about it? No answers. It's under investigation. I said, this is the ultimate in the deep state right here. And you're here asking for a tenfold increase in the budget for this group that you can't hold accountable. We shouldn't give a single penny to this group until you come forward and let us know exactly who did this, how they're being punished, how they're going to be held to account. No answer. No answer, Lou. Yeah. And they have the Democrats have the support now of corporate America, uh, U.S. multinationals, Wall Street, you name it. Did you ever think, Senator, and you're a man uh, who's been in business uh, your whole life uh, and, and immensely successful, did you ever think you would see Wall Street banks, commercial banks, finance and big business aligning with the Democratic Party as it goes even more Marxist. And I'm, not, I'm using that advisedly. Their agenda now is a Marxist left agenda. No, I, I, I could have never imagined it, Lou. Uh, I've been a businessman since the 1980s. I, I started out at the Boston Consulting Group. Uh, I think learn from the best. Uh, these are not the principles um, that, that, that I was taught. Um, you know, Corporations have a job that is to maximize shareholder value. That's been contorted so significantly by you know noisy activist groups, by these proxy firms that that are basically an oligopoly, and they come in and they'll recommend to, to vote for or against management on various things. There are only two firms that really control ninety plus percent of the the, the proxy voting here in America. Uh, somebody should certainly look into that. And these activist investors that come in and attack a company because they're trying to achieve some sort of social goal, having nothing to do with shareholder value. Uh, this ESG investing, which seems to be popular here in America, but they won't touch an investment if it has to do with something unpopular going on in China, like slave labor, uh, burning coal, uh, that type of thing. Uh, we'll go silent on, on, on Chinese uh, operations, but, but they'll certainly attack U.S. companies and concerns that are doing this. So you've seen this whole activist movement come into corporate America and you've got CEOs that are under quarterly pressure, and it's very difficult for them to, given the way their compensation is structured, not to be sensitive to quarterly pressures. And the result is they're kowtowing to this uh, socialist agenda, and in many cases, a Marxist agenda that is being pushed and popularized by a very small yet vocal group of people that want to use corporate America as a tool to accomplish their social justice agenda. This appears to be a coordinated, and I'm, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories and suggestions, but it, it does seem coordinated. Uh, this relationship between a group, even like Black Lives Matter, uh, and the HR departments of large, vast corporations uh, in this country, uh, as they are trying to appeal to whom? Uh, they have a profit motive that's being well satisfied. I mean, you, we look at the S&P earnings over the course of the last 20 years. Uh, it, it's been extraordinary. Uh, so what is what is the motivation uh, to to actually attack? I mean, the effect is to attack uh, groups, that is, those who are not uh, beneficiaries of affirmative action, who are not beneficiaries of what is now overt discrimination on the base of uh, skin color. Uh, and your thoughts about what is the motivation here for corporate America 
and the shareholders who are supposedly uh, the owners of these uh, corporations? Well, I, I think we could go back to what happened in Georgia, you know, with Coca-Cola and Delta. Um, these are corporations that responded to the to the headlines that they wanted to be sensitive to without actually reading the bills that were being proposed in Georgia, without actually understanding what was happening. And in a knee-jerk fashion, they listened to the corporate marketing department or to, you know, whatever department in the, in the corporation that didn't do their homework uh, and, and, you know, took a very short-term perspective that I think in the long term uh, they probably regret. Uh, what we need to do is make certain that corporate America refocuses again on what their ultimate objective is. And that is maximizing the benefit for their shareholders. Their shareholders, in turn, can use the returns to decide what type of social goods they want to pursue. But I don't think it's the role of corporate boards to be involved in, in, in this to the extent that they're being pushed at this point in time. The pendulum has swung too far. If you think about it, uh, our U.S. economy is the bulwark of the world economy. It's a huge competitive yeah. advantage for America. We need to be supportive of that and not being destroying, not being destructive of it from within. Yeah, let, let me turn very quickly, if I may, to, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the Pacific Fleet commander, uh, that admiral calling for more uh, aircraft carriers in the Pacific. You with, uh, were ambassador to Japan. Uh, the former Prime Minister Abe today uh, saying that the United States must defend Taiwan if the People's Republic decides to invade, uh, saying that there would, there's really no geopolitical, uh, real politic uh, response other than that for the United States. Your thoughts about the threats, uh, the rising threats in the South China Sea in particular, and Taiwan? Well, I've been watching this very, very closely. As you know, I was U.S. ambassador to Japan at a tough time. Uh, I came to that position in 2017 right. when Kim Jong-un had begun to launch intercontinental ballistic missiles over Japan. It was critical then, and, and it remains so, that the United States abide by its security treaties with Japan and that we continue to build a strong presence in that area. The world needs a strong America. I can't emphasize that enough. And I think after the collapse of Afghanistan, a number of our, of our adversaries are really questioning this. Not only what's happening in the Taiwan Strait, you look at the buildup of Russian troops on the Ukrainian border, you look at the way Iran is behaving right now. We're being challenged on all fronts. Back to Taiwan, uh, that situation, I think, has escalated tremendously since the fall of Afghanistan. Uh, the Seventh Fleet is one of the most powerful tools that the United States has in its arsenal. It's based there in Yokosuka, Japan. I, I traveled there very often, had a very close relationship with the leadership there, and uh, extraordinarily competent. But what we've seen is China stepping up uh, its activity in the East China Sea around the Senkaku Islands there with Japan. We've seen it step up tremendously in the South China Sea, and you're aware, Lou, of those artificial islands that they built, which are essentially military bases. Something that concerns me greatly is that in a joint exercise, both Russia and China sailed through the strait that separates Hokkaido, the northernmost island, with Honshu, the, the, the main island of Japan. That, that's a very narrow strait, a very menacing posture that they're adopting. And I think China is, is going to test us at every level. I understand what Prime Minister Abe is saying, and I've, I've seen stronger words coming from Japan. I've seen much stronger words coming from Australia. Frankly, I've seen the Biden administration step up and you know, engage more with the Indo-Pacific leaders, but it's got to be more than words. That's what this commander is calling for. It's more than words. It's deeds. It's our physical presence there. And when we look at the military budget that we that has been proposed by the Biden administration, 
they've offered to double-digit increase almost every aspect of the U.S. budget, particularly for domestic banks. There are only two areas that they're talking about in real terms after inflation cutting. That is Homeland Security and guess what? The DOD. That sends a very strong and weak message to our adversaries like China. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I, I, is our custom on this podcast to, to give you the, the last word. Uh, I, I do want to get a sense, and I'm sure the audience does as well, what your thoughts are about what the Republican Party can do uh, to, first of all, make certain that Homeland Security and uh, the Defense Department are funded uh, more than adequately, not cut, uh, and what your outlook is for the for the next year or two, including the, the midterm elections in next year. Well, the Republican Party is going to stand strong for defense in this nation. I serve on the Appropriations Committee. Uh, my, my colleagues that serve on the Armed Services Committee are fighting right now over the National Defense Authorization Bill. Um, it, it collapsed earlier. Uh, we, we're trying to revive it. This has gone far too long uh, to, to get our national defense authorization moving through. But Republicans are very strong voice that we've got to increase the budget well above what Biden is calling for. And we're still fighting that fight today. But I can assure you, every Republican is united and pushing in that direction. If I look forward to 2022, uh, I think that the message we got out of Virginia recently with the gubernatorial election bodes extremely well for Republican chances, both in the House and the Senate. Uh, if you look at Biden's approval ratings, they're in the tank. If you think about what Americans were talking about over the Thanksgiving table, they are very unhappy with this administration, whether it's their handling of the economy, the massive inflation that we've seen, the disgrace that occurred in Afghanistan that's embarrassed us as a nation. If you look at their energy policies, starting from day one, tearing up uh, the Keystone Pipeline deal, uh, doing everything they can to drive our energy costs through the roof, make us less energy independent and more vulnerable to nations like Russia and OPEC. And yes, if you're going to be buying more windmills and turbines, you're more vulnerable to China, particularly if you're looking about getting electronic vehicle batteries, electric vehicle batteries. You're, you're, you're going to become more and more vulnerable to countries that don't have our best interests at heart. America sees this, and this is why Biden's numbers are in the tank. This is why his vice president number is even lower because she has been the czar of the of, of the most incredible national security disaster I've seen in my lifetime, which is our southern border. She's supposedly, supposedly responsible for this. So they have shown themselves to be inept, incompetent, and they've lost the trust of America. So I think 2022 looks great for Republicans. Senator Bill Haggerty, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm delighted to be able to call you Senator Haggerty, because I think you are uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the great assets for the uh, for the Senate and for indeed the country. Appreciate your time and look forward to talking to you again soon. Wish you all the very best. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so great much. America great great to be with you. Take care. Senator Bill Haggerty, uh, a great American. We continue with the Great America Show in just one moment. Please stay with us. President Biden still refuses to answer questions about the substance of that virtual summit meeting he held with Xi Jinping in the middle of November. Remember, the Biden administration is the least transparent since President Obama. That is the Obama-Biden administration, of course. That lack of openness is contributing now to some of the lowest presidential and vice presidential approval ratings in modern times. 
Joining us now is one of the country's foremost political posters, strategic consultants, and keen political analyst, John McLaughlin. John, great to have you with us here on The Great America Show. I want to start with, right now, this president, so unpopular, a vice president, even more unpopular. Uh, did you expect polling to turn this quickly on this administration? No, but I expected it to happen. Uh, there was a point where, as you know, since I worked for President Trump um, and I was one of the advisors that was saying we were in a close election last year, just like we were in 2016, but that we could win, um, you know, and it's very tough to lose an election by literally 45,000 votes in three states out of 160 million, but that's what they counted. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I met with him in January during impeachment. And we were at Mar-a-Lago and myself, uh, Brian Jack, who was his White House political director, myself and, and the president to go over polls. And his base was solidly intact. His base has always been intact and uh, intact. It, it's just a it's just a very powerful uh, political foundation. And, uh, you know, although there were concerns with with the impeachment because uh, the Democrats were clearly I mean, historically, they were, you know, to, to, to impeach a private citizen at that point was was really unusual but that's how crazy and political the democrats have gotten mm -hmm. but on the other hand I, I was saying to him you have to sit back and you have to allow joe biden to fail and joe biden will fail and those of us who are old enough to remember uh uh when jimmy carter failed uh in 1976 i was a i was a college student who volunteered for reagan and Later on, when I went to work for Arthur Finkelstein as a pollster, he was one of Reagan's pollsters, and we did polling for the White House. And I said, right. you have to realize that as, as, as just like Jimmy Carter failed and people had buyer's remorse about Reagan, when, when, when basically when Joe Biden fails, uh, they will have buyer's remorse about him. And, and I didn't think he, I mean, he's, he's done in a matter of months what it took Jimmy Carter to do to four years in the, in, in the United right. States. So, so if there was an election today, Donald Trump would win by a landslide. To that point, his base seems to me uh, is represented with uh, just his popularity uh, and, and the, the amount of tension, attention given him. It seems to be intact. And when he holds one of his rallies, there's great energy and enthusiasm. Is his base basically intact? It's it's more than intact. Intact. It's expanding right now, because when we ask the voters, basically, when we ask the voters, do you want to see? And this is on. We we have this online on McLaughlinOnline.com. We publish a monthly national survey of a thousand likely voters, and when we ask them, do you want to see Donald Trump run for president again in 2024? among Republicans and independents who would vote in a Republican primary, 71% of all those primary voters said yes. And if Donald Trump were to run for president again in 2024, would you support or oppose him for the Republican nomination? Support is 85 to 12, 66 is strongly <laughs> support. So, and, and then when we put him in a field of like 15 candidates, no one's close to him. He's at 55%. The next closest is uh, Ron DeSantis at 15. Everybody else is single digits. Mitt Romney, 2%. I mean, Liz Cheney at 2%. I mean, Donald Trump right now dominates. Two, the those are two of my very favorite people right there. <laughs> exactly. That's why I mentioned him. And, and, but <laughs> if, if Donald Trump decides to run, he'll be the nominee. 
And what's even better for Donald Trump now, if he were to run against Joe Biden, he would beat him 49 to 44 in the popular vote nationally. Wow. So, I mean, that's and, and, and it's really a function of when you look at Joe Biden's disapproval rating. I mean, I mean, 56 percent of all voters in the survey, and it's probably risen since then, uh, disapprove the Joe, the job that Joe Biden's doing. Right. Uh, but Donald Trump in that comparison again. Uh, I mean, he wins among people in the suburbs, 49, 45. He picks up 42 percent of the Hispanic vote, more than we got November of 2020. Uh, African-Americans, 14 percent. I mean, independence, we win 46, 40. Uh, so so if Donald Trump and by the way, Kamala Harris, if anything, because you realize about a majority of voters don't think Joe Biden will serve his full term. They think that mm-hmm. Kamala Harris will be president. Right. But. Kamala Harris, if she becomes president, Trump beats her 50 to 42. And and uh, so it's it it even gets worse for the Democrats, because, I mean, what what Kamala Harris is for Joe Biden is that's impeachment insurance or insurance against the 25th Amendment, because (laughs) she's 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 more disliked than he is. She's got a 40 favorable and a 55 unfavorable rating. I mean, they have gloriously failed. America's got I mean, this is unbelievable what they're doing to the country. I wish the election was tomorrow because in that poll that I mentioned, 35%, only 35% of Americans thought we were on the right track. 62% said we're on the wrong direct on the wrong track. And that so, survey that, that John's re, uh, referring to is McLaughlin and Associates uh, uh, current opinion of the U.S. economy. That survey, uh, I believe, is the 16th of November. That's how recent it is. Uh, right. Saying now that more people believe uh, 55 to 38 percent that the country is, in fact, in recession. Uh, 62 to 35 percent believe the country is going in the wrong direction. Uh, it, 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 it's stunning stuff. And uh, unfortunately, within those numbers is a is a reading of our current uh, current condition in the markets. Our current condition in the economy is expressed, whether it be at higher prices, or whether it be in the lack of inventory of housing, uh, whether it be in uh, confidence in the future generally, right? Yes, sir. And and you know what? I, I Like, you deal in substance. You know these business facts, and you know the reality of, of what's going on with the economy. I, I, I say, I, because I deal in public opinion polling, I deal in substance abuse. But here, <laughs> the... Uh, the voters decide what's really happening. And when you when when you think about it, public opinion will determine where the markets go. And that kind of pessimism on the economy when they when they when they believe two to one that the economy's headed in the in the in the wrong direction. When you think about it, a few months ago, they thought the country was on the right track. I mean, Donald Trump had left them with a legacy of vaccines mm-hmm. and a legacy of an expanding economy where people were being rehired. Right. The, the, the Trump, Kudlow, Mnuchin, uh, V-shaped recession uh, had happened. We're basically, we bounced out of a self-imposed recession during COVID, during the shutdown. And the economy was reopening. We had historic vaccines to, to, to cure this and treatments to cure uh, this pandemic. And so Biden was coming in when people said we're back on the right track and the economy's getting better, not worse. And in a matter of months, he's turned it around two to one, wrong track, two to 
one, the, uh, the economy is getting worse. And even though that people are working, inflation is killing them. I mean, we're doing focus groups for Newt Gingrich for uh, his, his Gingrich 360. And people are saying that they can't afford the price of gas. It's sticker shock when they go to the supermarket. So the working class voters that Trump built as a base for the Republican Party has expanded now to more of the middle class and the suburbs, et cetera. And um, you've got people who are independents and moderates who didn't vote for us uh, with uh, you know, the last election who are now saying that they that they wish they had voted for Donald Trump and the job rating. If you if they voted for Joe Biden, that survey I mentioned, 51 percent told us they voted for Joe Biden in 2020. Twenty one percent of them now disapprove of Biden. Only 76 percent approve. So, you know, we're living it and we feel it. Uh, we sense it and smell it. Uh, you know, when we're at the grocery store, whether we're uh, you know out to eat uh, wherever we may be uh, in public. And to if there's a different feel, uh, I don't think it rises to the level of a malaise, uh, but it, it, it certainly it seems like a precondition there uh, that is it's disturbing. But when you think about and I, and I want to ask you about these factors that also contribute to the public confidence, whether it be the disaster in Afghanistan a president who wobbles as he enters a room and uh, if he successfully navigates uh, without assistance, gets out of the room, uh, stumbles through his teleprompter performances. Uh, that all weighs on voters, Americans, and, and, and the public around the globe. Right now, we look like a laughingstock. We're watching the Chinese send hypersonic missiles around the earth miss a target by 25 miles, and our our military leaders can't even spell hypersonic in many cases. That's how far behind we are in that race uh, for advanced weaponry. Uh, how much of a role does that play, and what should we expect going forward? Well, it's, it's a big problem because in, in the November survey, we asked a question from what you've seen so far. How worried are you about the future of America with Joe Biden as president? And 59% said worried. And when we asked him, should he go for a cognitive test and release it to the public? 59% said yes. Wow. And the, and the majority thinks he's incompetent. And to your point about Afghanistan, which, which in many ways with the economy going in the wrong direction and them spending too much, people don't want to build back better. They think it's causing inflation. They, they, they think they're wasting money. But in, in uh, September, when we asked, um, you know, would you agree with the statement that Joe Biden surrendered Afghanistan to the same terrorists that attacked us on 9-11? 58% of all Americans said yes. Yeah. So so we've got a combination of things, whether it's the crisis at the border, whether it's foreign policy and security, whether it's the economy. Americans have lost confidence in the president and in the Democrats and their policies. And I was abroad. I do work in Hungary for the prime minister uh, of Hungary, Viktor Orban. Mm -hmm. And I was and I, in the beginning of November, I was over there and I was meeting with the prime minister. I, I worked in his last campaign in 2018 and uh, European leaders, not just prime minister Orban, but other leaders that I was spoken to were at Glasgow. And they were surprised that they were not able to interact with Joe Biden. Joe Biden came, he fell asleep, he gave a speech from a teleprompter, but there was no interaction between President Biden and, and the heads of these European states who basically had come because he asked them to come. Russia and China didn't go. 
and they see a weak uh, president and they miss Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, the European media didn't like Donald Trump, but the European leaders appreciated what Donald Trump meant in terms of America being strong again. And you look what's going on in Ukraine right now, where, uh, you know, I mean, okay, is Ukraine the next Afghanistan? Because when Obama was president, he sent them blankets when the Russians invaded. Uh, when President Trump was there, he sent them weapons. And, uh, you know, so you've got, I mean, it's not a good time for the United States of America, not just at home, but also abroad. The audience of this podcast, uh, John, are keenly aware of what you're talking about in the context, because we're reporting uh, over 100,000 Russian troops on their uh, western border, the eastern border of Ukraine. President Zelensky uh, is saying without any hesitation uh, that Putin's Russia is plotting against him, uh, whether it be to carry out a coup or an invasion. Uh, and we know that the United States uh, has a significant role here. And uh, unfortunately, uh, NATO seems to, to be comprised of orphans because so little uh, money is being spent, as, the president, as President Trump said at the time, uh, to build up the weaponry and fully pay their way in NATO. Uh, they look uh, not only less armed than they should be uh, and prepared to defend uh, Eastern Europe, but, uh, you know, weak and in some cases enfeebled, an inviting target for Vladimir Putin. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And, and in fact, the energy, when you look at the energy issues, I mean, Americans are certainly upset about what we're paying. Uh, you know, when Donald Trump left off, it was $2 a gallon. Now it's, uh, uh, you know, 4 or $5 in many places. And you got home heating costs going up. But for Europeans, it's a national security issue because our friend Larry Kudlow often says Russia is basically a gas station masquerading as a country. And what they do is they well, basically... He, for, he forgot one little element, uh, and that is uh, a superior force in point of fact in terms of nuclear warheads. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've heard that comment made by lots of people. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, I think of it as naive and, and frankly, downright ignorant. Vladimir Putin is leading the second leading uh, nuclear power in the world. And to underestimate him, I, I think, is a damn fool's course. Yeah, now I would I would agree with that. However, the power of Russia on Europe and the rest of the world is energy related. So mm -hmm. when Joe Biden kills, you know, Keystone XL pipeline, weakens the you know value of dollars, so the price of oil goes up, car curtails, um, you know, uh, uh, oil and gas exploration. When he does that, the price of price of uh, oil around the world, the market it's a it's an international market. It goes up, and that helps Putin. It helps him fund his military. It helps him fund that nuclear arsenal that he has. And it and it and you've got Europe where okay, Poland is doubling the size of their their own forces, mm -hmm. and you've got other leaders who have basically increased their military standing, but. Um, it's a serious threat. And then, you know, you look at the, you know, with China, China's, I mean, you know, Joe Biden's policies where he's uh, basically uh, uh, forcing us into electric cars that are subsidized by his Green New Deal. Um, China's going to control the batteries. They're going to control the production on that. So it's, it's, uh, 
it's it's a it's a to the rest of the world, the United States looks weak at a time when we can least afford it. Yeah, and you know what you're 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 saying, and, and millions of people uh, agree with you, is that President Trump would have been a far superior choice uh, for both the security of the nation, uh, for the prosperity of the uh, all of us, uh, and, and this great ec- economy. Uh, I- instead, uh, we have Joe Biden. And we have the prospect of 2024 for the return of Donald Trump. How likely, uh, as uh, an insider, is it in your judgment that President Trump will indeed uh, run for office for a re-election in 2024? Well, I, I mean, right now, the polls say that the American public wants him. Mm-hmm. We asked a question in September where when Trump was president, the border was secure. Uh, crime was low, relatively low before the uh, uh, tragedy with uh, uh, George Floyd, et cetera. But crime was relatively low. Uh, you had uh, uh, the economy was was rebounding and coming back. Millions of jobs were being created. Gas prices were, were stable. And six out of 10 Americans agreed with that, that Donald Trump was the better president, 60 percent. And and so so if President Trump sees those kinds of numbers, and the Democrats keep doubling down on uh, uh, on what's um, on what's happening and and trying to reverse his policies and taking the country in the wrong direction. I, I can see. I mean, I've known Donald Trump for years. He ran because he thought America was headed on the wrong track, and he right. wanted to turn things around. He will do so again if he if uh, he will do so again if that's the situation they're in. But right now, he's focused on winning back the House and the Senate and checkmating. Uh, uh, you know, President Biden and the Democrats and uh, trying to get us back in the right direction. So uh, so it's a long time for now. But right now, the environment is such that if, if the Democrats keep doubling down on the wrong policies, they're going to make Donald Trump the next president. Well, there are a lot of people uh, delighted to hear your your analysis, I, I will tell you. I, I've said about Donald Trump, I don't know whether he'll run for reelection, but I do know uh, that this man, for all that he went through in that four years, two impeachments, not one, two impeachments, both of them absolute farces uh, because of the collective ignorance of the Democratic leadership that financed uh, the, the hoax of, a, of Russian collusion and perpetrated on the American people for four years, uh, all courtesy of Hillary Clinton, the Democratic National Committee. Uh, I think the American people now see what happened. I think that that has been one of the advantages, at least of the passing of time, is that there is a clear idea on the part of the American people. Most will vote, I think, would vote for Donald Trump just because he deserves their vote for what he did and for what was done to him. Your thoughts? Absolutely. You're right on that. And and that's where my original point was. We have to, sadly, we had to give Biden time to fail. And they they've done that, you know, sadly for the country, they've done that in a big way. And, uh, you know, the president, he will he will do what he 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 will do what it takes to turn the United States around President Trump, I mean. And, uh, you know, I I don't know when the Democrats are going to get the message, but they but they got some of the message last November uh, and where there were elections in in uh, Virginia and in New York and other places, municipal places. Uh, but then 
they're going to see they're going to see uh, uh, they're going to see a big difference in in uh, in this November November of 2022. They're going to see a big difference where the Republicans can take the Senate and the Republicans can take the House. And right now, the, the polls that we have have the Republicans up in the generic ballot decisively for right. Congress. So. Okay. Well, let me ask you in that regard, did, because there has been some, I, I think, seismic shifts here politically. People talk about the Democratic coalition, but there is also, I think, on both sides of this, there have been seismic shifts. In particular, in the Democratic Party, there appears to be uh, the Hispanic voter is no longer being looked at as monolithic, uh, and they are indeed expressing themselves as you would expect any uh, citizen in this country to be making up their own minds about who they're going to align with. I'm interested to hear your judgment about that. I'm also interested to hear your judgment about this realignment with corporate America, in which they are lining up uh, with the the Marxist left, in point of right. fact, whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter, or whether it's Antifa, or radical uh, uh, Marxist thought within the Democratic Party about uh, you know critical race theory, uh, about turning over HR departments uh, to you know to this uh, social justice uh, imperative within the uh, radical Democratic Party. Your thoughts? Well, in the first, we just did a, a survey, and again, it's posted on our website. We did a survey that was posted last week among Hispanic voters, except for California. Uh, we, we held California out to, so that we could look at more states that are more um, more likely to be won by President Trump or the Republicans or conservatives. And it was a thousand likely Hispanic voters. And we have a Spanish-speaking polling company, Opinions Latinas, that we polled for for mm -hmm. years. We polled the 2004 race exactly for Bush correctly, 44% uh, of the Hispanic vote. But also in this survey, it was John Jordan and Dick Morris um, did the analysis in the survey. And uh, what we found is that that basically uh, Donald Trump is continuing growing his share among Latino voters. In 16, he had 26% of the Hispanics. 2020, he had 34. In this poll, he had 38%. And uh, uh, and they're disappointed in Biden. 52% basically were saying that they were disappointed in Biden. You've got 49% saying the country's on the wrong track. And again, these are, by the way, a lot of the Latino voters in the country, um, they come from countries that were socialist. So, you know, they, 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 they came to America for freedom. And whether it's Cuba or Mexico or Nicaragua or Venezuela, they, Colombia, they know what the danger of socialists are. And you've got the, the Democrats pushing this big government socialism on them, which is why part of the reason why that President Trump was able to win Florida so decisively. I mean, he, uh, the the, uh, the Cuban-American vote uh, in Florida was higher for President Bush, uh, President Trump, pardon me, than uh, uh, than it was, you know, among the Anglo voters. So, right. uh so it's the potential here to gain even more because uh, of a values connection uh, that conservatives and President Trump have with Hispanic voters that basically uh, the Democrats are are spouting they, policies and an ideology that's antithesis to them. And very quickly, the African-American vote, uh, the number's not as good as uh, obviously the president wanted, but uh, significantly better than previous uh, Republican candidates. 
does he have an opportunity uh, should he decide to run in 2024 among African Americans that will be significant? Yes, absolutely. Because you realize the Democrat strategy is to carry 90% or 95% right. of the of the African American vote. And when you break into double the digits, like President Trump last time had 12% of the African American vote. And two to one, it was a- African American men. And they tended to be younger, college educated, and and more geared towards being entrepreneurs. Right. And uh, uh, that was true in 2016. It was true in 2020. But now it can expand even more. So so if you get, uh, you know, you're going to see more African American Republicans running, like President Trump is supporting Herschel Walker for Senate in Georgia. In Georgia, I used to work for Governor Deal, and everybody thought we were going to be losing close Deal. elections. Yep. Nathan Deal. Deal. Yep, and okay. and our, our our strategy was to get double digit black vote, which we did through expanding charter schools and prison reform and uh, jobs, et cetera, for for uh, all Georgians. Um, he did that, and he he was a model for the way to win. We won by eight points in 2014, and he helped us win uh, in 2016 uh, with President Trump. So uh, if you get if you, if we improve the African American vote, the Democrats have nothing nothing left of their base right uh, and i want to turn to to the part of the question pertaining to the realignment in the republican party uh that is corporate america with a marxist left in point of fact and if the marxist left uh, the radical dims uh, themselves uh, left to their own coalition devices i mean it is really uh, quite a a breathtaking uh to me evolution to see corporate America lined up with the Democratic Party. No, it's 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 very bad for the country. It's going to be bad for them because uh, it, because what you've got is now the Republicans, which is good for us, good for the conservative movement. Say, uh, Donald Trump has transformed through his attention to trade issues and uh, you know immigration issues. He's transformed the Republican Party into the party of the working class, the party of working yep. men and women of America. And ironically, and small business. Yes. And and ironically, our high tech society, you've got uh, these oligarchs, these high tech oligarchs who are opposed to free speech, who are really building up huge negatives among the American public to the point where they have to change the name of Facebook because they know they're in trouble because people see their privacy invaded. They see that their rights are being abridged and and. you know, the United States and we're being surveilled 24 seven by big tech, social media uh, and, and Silicon Valley. I mean, it, and right. I love the fact that you use the word that we use on this on this on the, on the great America show. They are oligarchs. Any other country, they'd be oligarchs here. They are, you know, they're entrepreneurs in the digital uh, metaverse. No, they're oligarchs. God bless you, John. Well, I might have heard that on your show before, but <laughs> it's, it's it sticks. So when you think about it, I mean, think about basically what you've got. You've got the, you know, they're the party of the rich and the, the wine and cheese elites who are uh, basically exploiting the working class in America. And and the majority, Donald Trump was elected in 2016. Uh basically to repudiate that and he did and they they you know to the point of you know zuckerberg spending 400 million dollars to create unsecured drop boxes and 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 
you know, ballot harvesting that was engineered, by the way, that was all engineered by Obama's campaign manager, sure. David Paul. Oh, he had absolutely. written the, he works for him. He'd written a book, Citizen's Guide to Defeat Donald Trump. It was in there and they did exactly what they said they were going to do. And, uh, you know, so so basically the, the, the heartland of America where Donald Trump created a coalition in the Rust Belt and the Sun Belt and the working classes of America, they are going to they're definitely in revolt right now and they're going to take it back. So uh, so the smart corporate money will be on the working people of America and not this elitist pro-communist China, um, you know, kind of ideology. So, well, let me, uh, let me wrap up very quickly with my question and then I'm going to ask you for your last word, but first a question and, and your answer uh, on this, can the Republicans succeed by continuing this high level of tolerance for rhinos who really are proxies for, for Democrats? Well, I, you know, when you say the Republicans, you may be referring to the elites in the Republican Party, like the Mitt Romneys of the world, et cetera, the people that run the, you know, uh, uh, the party apparatus in certain places. They're not going to succeed because the primary voters, the rank and file Republican primary voters are going to turn out the rhinos, which is why, you know, we'll, we will win primaries in 2022. Those those uh, members of Congress that voted to impeach Donald Trump, they're going to be history. Um, the majority of Republicans are going to nominate, uh, you know, candidates that reflect their values and their beliefs, and that will enable us to win in uh, November next year. If we don't do that, uh, the Republicans will snatch defeat from the jaws of victory once again, um, just like, you know, Mitt Romney did in 2012. And uh, what you'll John, see, let me ask yeah. you this, mm-hmm. but that that victory was snatched through voter fraud. Uh, whether and, and I'm not saying fraud that changed the outcome, uh, although that would be the inference and conclusion of what you said earlier in the podcast. But we saw Democrats and Republicans alike change election laws without going through their state legislature because of, quote unquote, the covid crisis. Will there be, do you think, sufficient electoral integrity in 2022 and 2024 to assure that the people get the candidate uh, elected they want. Yes, there will be. But first, I was referring to the Romney election of 2012. Oh, right. Because not Donald Trump's election, because we know that they that they definitely changed the rules and they allowed ballots that shouldn't have been cast. Right. But but uh, uh, that's what I was referring to. Basically, right. where where basically you know when the country was hit by Hurricane Sandy, you had Obama hugging Chris Christie, and Mitt Romney missing in action, and we lost in the last right. weekend. Right. What I was, but in Georgia, Georgia, I worked for the House Republican majority this year, and Speaker Ralston and the majority changed the election laws, and Major League Baseball, and and by the way, the way they change the election laws, they require voter ID not just for in person but also for absentee ballots, and that's fair. Vast majority of Americans support that. They still have early absentee balloting, no excuse. They still have secure drop boxes, but they're in government offices and not just in Democratic neighborhoods and unsecured. And 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 basically they've created uh, they've created an an election system where you have honest elections, but more liberal laws than New York or uh, Delaware. And and people can have confidence in an honest election. Guess what? Since we've done that, although Major League Baseball and. 
and Joe Biden attacked them. We've had elections where Republicans have been winning in swing areas decisively by 20 points, like in Cobb County. Uh, even the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. So it tells you what <laughs> tells you what they're what's going on. And they cheered when Donald Trump showed up. And when you think of New York, I just recently the New York State Conservative Party that we work for defeated three propositions in deep blue New York where the Democrats were going to try to push. These were amendments on the ballot, change the state constitution, count illegal immigrants in in redistricting, allow same-day registration in a state where you don't ask for voter ID because you're not allowed to, and also to have no excuse absentees instead of being able to yeah. you know, require. And we won each of those propositions 60-40 not close in New York. So people know that something's wrong. And even Democrats joined with independents and Republicans want to fix it. They want honest elections and they don't want to see what happened in 2020 ever happen again. Uh, We also know that part of that is uh, a a complacent Republican National Committee, which after the autopsy of 2012 is uh, even more inexcusable. because we knew better, uh, yet that we didn't have Republicans standing in the poll places to watch the ballots being cast. We didn't have them where they were to be represented. We allowed Democrats to push them out uh, of the polling places all across all across the country, not just the five critical states, so-called. Uh, so I, the party itself, as it's represented by the Republican National Committee, Uh, didn't know what they were doing. They didn't put enough people on the ground. They didn't have lawyers where they needed to be, and they said they did, Uh, and they lost. And by God, what have we got as a result? The Republican Party has the same RNC leadership in place that lost the election of 2020. Why? Well, it's uh, by the way, I don't have have a contract with them. I don't do work for them, but uh, that tells you a lot. But but anyway, the uh, <laughs> but the but I will tell you, New York City go I you know New York City going forward right now, they are going to try to pass a law to allow immigrants in New York City who are not citizens to vote in municipal elections, which may be about as high as eight hundred thousand people. Eighty five percent of all Americans think only citizens should be allowed to vote. Yeah, the Republican National Committee needs to get out in front of that law and sue. The laws in 2020, when they changed it during COVID, whether it was Georgia or Pennsylvania, wherever, the Republican National Committee needed to sue. And they and they needed to stop them legally. And they didn't do it. And I'm waiting to see if the Republican National Committee steps up and all the money they're raising in Donald Trump's name uses it to stop non-citizens from voting to cancel out American American citizens' votes, where, I mean, if they don't do that in New York City, it's going to spread all over the country. And uh, uh, they, you know, a lot of these Republicans at the Republican National Committee, they just write off large parts of of the United States uh, where, you know, I used to kill a kid, kid Carl Rove, and I used to say to Carl, you don't do away games, you only play in states where you think you can win. Those of us who grew up with, like, uh, you know, Lee Atwater and Ronald Reagan, et cetera, we try to win every state. We try to win. Amen, brother. We try to win the whole country, including California and New York. And we've done that before. So, 
you know, uh, the real acid test is, let's see if the Republican National Committee steps up and sues to, to reaffirm the right that if, if you allow non-citizens to vote, it's unconstitutional and you're, you're cheapening and weakening the vote of every American citizen across this country. John McLaughlin, we thank you for being with us. You get the last word on any subject you wish, uh, <laughs> of course, in a uh, economical amount of time. <laughs> Well, I just, you're doing a great job. Your listeners are great people and uh, they should have hope. It's, it's, I just wish the election was tomorrow and not next November, but they need to get out and vote in the primaries and they need to get out and vote next November. And that's the start of uh, straightening out America because the only thing the Democrats will listen to is when we, or these socialists, these big government socialists, is when we knock them out of power and, and uh, show them that there's an American majority that wants to run this country and not them. John McLaughlin, I have to tell you, uh, I'm deeply appreciative uh, for your appearance here and the tutorial that you've given all of us. Uh, fascinating, uh, entertaining, enlightening, and uh, thank you so much, and I hope you'll come back real soon. Thank you. Thanks. John McLaughlin. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.